0: Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is Classical Music Decoded. This is a new series called Conversations, in which I speak to people who are prominent in classical music in South Africa and beyond. People who you might have heard of or seen on stage, but about whom we know little. Well, it's time to find out about them. Now, a few years ago, I attended a concert by the Johannesburg Full Harmonic Orchestra and the programme featured Mozart's Clarinet Concerto in A major. So we all filed into the Linda Auditorium, took our seats, and then it was announced that the soloist, who was Michael Collins, had taken ill and was unable to play. A new soloist had been brought in at short notice, and onto the stage walked the striking and charismatic clarinetist who played that Mozart concerto not only beautifully, but also as if it were the easiest thing in the world. And that soloist is Maria Dutoy, who is my guest for this episode. Welcome, Maria.
1: Hi, thank you so much, Diana.
0: And uh, I still remember that concert with the JPO. And the yes, Mozart's. so do I. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that year very yeah. clearly. And I suppose the reason why I remember it is because uh, on that day, I was sitting next to the CEO of the JPO at that time, Shadrach Pokaba. Right. And uh, he told me, you know, the soloist, we just flew her in yesterday. <laughs> yes, it was, uh,
1: it was a very uh, condensed period of uh, preparing for a concerto.
0: <laughs> right, right. Okay, well now, I know that you have been extremely busy over the last few weeks. It's now mid-2023. And yeah, you've been busy for the last few weeks, perhaps even longer. So what have you been up to?
1: Well, uh, prior to this trip um, uh, in which I'm going to play with the Johannesburg Philharmonic, um, I was uh, I, I did a tour of South Africa with uh, my duo partner. I have a duo with a Dutch pianist called Vera Koper, and we toured South Africa last month. Uh, so we spent two weeks... Um, going to a couple of different places and giving a lot of concerts and masterclasses and workshops and things like that. So um, actually, I've never been to South Africa twice so quickly after each other since Mm -hmm. I moved away out of the country. Um, And back home, I've also been quite busy um, doing a lot of chamber music concerts, especially. I play in various different combinations of chamber music groups, um, and I play some solo as well. So it's very varied, um, but every month looks different in my agenda.
0: Is there a lot of... uh classical music activity in the Netherlands? Definitely,
1: definitely. There is so much happening. I mean, if you wanted to go to a concert in the Netherlands, you could literally choose out of tens of concerts every single day, 365 days of the year. It's insane how much is happening uh, in terms of culture and concerts and classical music specifically.
0: And is there a big enough audience to sustain that level of activity?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean... um, Obviously, as with, uh, with concerts everywhere, some concerts are not as well attended as one would, you know, hope that they would be, but some others are sold out. So there's a very nice balance. And I think overall, concerts are quite well attended. And there's definitely a culture of people going to classical music concerts.
0: And your South African tour, which took you pretty much around the country to all the major centers. Yes, what right. was the response like to the music you played?
1: overwhelmingly good because we played completely unknown music. We had a program uh, of music by female composers only. So all the music is unknown, Um, but we noticed the same thing here as we do when we played that program in the Netherlands. It's like people come and they they come up to us afterwards and say, well, we don't know this music. We've never heard it before, but it's so lovely and it's so refreshing. So why have we not heard this before? But that's exactly the point why we, uh, why we dug them out of the archives, those pieces, and want to present them and share them, because um, there's some really good music that's been hidden or neglected or sort of overlooked. Um, so yes, the, the response has, has definitely been incredibly positive.
0: Now, you've lived in the Netherlands for a number of years, but you're originally from South Africa. That's right. Tell me about your journey in classical music. Where did it start and how did it grow from there?
1: I actually started music lessons uh, as a child. I first played the piano. um, And then when I got to high school, I wanted to play another instrument. And I was really attracted to wind instruments and the clarinet particularly. I can't really tell you the exact reason why I chose the clarinet, but just just the idea came into my head. So I went to the Hugo Lamprecht Music Center um, and I started my first clarinet lessons there. Um, After that, I never really made a decision that I wanted to go and study music. It just sort of happened. It was like the most natural thing for me to do. It was Mm -hmm. as if that decision had already been made in my mind. Like Yes, exactly. Um, It's not that I was like weighing my options and seeing what should I go and do with my life. It was like always very clear and Very organic. Um, I'm going to go study music. So I studied at Stellenbosch University. Mm -hmm. I got my bachelor's there. Um, You you didn't
0: grow up in Stellenbosch? I
1: did grow up in Stellenbosch, yes. Um, And after getting my degree, I uh, studied overseas a bit as well. I went to New York for a couple of months. I went to Utrecht for a couple of months. And I also um, took a lot of masterclasses and lessons in Bulgaria. So that's also quite diverse. But um, I wanted to get a lot of influences and, and you know get a lot of people from completely different parts of the world and with different points of view to give me feedback and advice and help mold and shape me. Um, and then I got a job in the Cape Town Philharmonic Orchestra, I think that was around 2002. And I stayed there for uh, 13 years. Um, And during the same period, I also taught at the Stellenbosch University, where I studied. And then in 2014, I made the decision to move to the Netherlands.
0: That's been a good decision so far. It's
1: been a good decision, yes, definitely.
0: Now, making a career as a classical musician is, is a difficult thing to do. And no one I know does it for the money or because they want an easy life. No. Um, yeah. So
1: it's, a... it's extremely hard work, yep. and um, the thing I, I told you just now about there being such a massive cultural uh, life in in the Netherlands means that there are also an incredible uh, number of very very good musicians that want to play and that want to perform. There is absolutely no shortage of very good musicians, so it's not only about practicing hard and becoming really good on your instrument, but you have to work really hard behind the scenes as well. You have to be constantly busy to organize concerts, to make contacts with people, to reach out, to network, to organize, to plan, to come up with new ideas, to be creative and you know, come up with, a, with some new idea you want to present and then find the right people to do it with. So there's a lot of work uh, beyond just playing your instrument um, if you want to if you want to be a performing musician in in the Netherlands or I guess in Europe in general on
0: becoming a classical musician and you know the difficulties associated with it uh, I'm intrigued by why people choose this path so for you what 's the payoff for you?
1: For me, playing an instrument, getting on stage is a very very unique experience where i um, where I feel and experience things that i i can't feel and experience in other areas of my life um for me it's a, a very unique way of connecting with other people um I can actually be Actually, be quite awkward and introverted, but when I make music, no words are needed, and I feel a very different kind of connection with my fellow musicians, whoever I'm making music with on stage, as well as with the audience. You know, there's some kind of communication happening there mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with words, and um, that's the one thing. Um, second of all, whether you are the musician or the audience. In that moment of performing, we're all experiencing something which also cannot very easily be put into words. It's like a collective experience we're having of a moment that just happens once. Even if you play the same piece a hundred times, it's not going to be the same. Uh, Every single performance is going to be unique. And, you know, the musicians and the audience are together in that uh, hall or space experiencing something incredibly unique um, and the music has the power of making us experience some emotions and things that we don't really know how to put into words. So for me, that is incredibly special. And, you know, those things lead me to the third thing, I guess, why it's so special for me to, to play live music um, is because I can really enjoy it. It is something that, that makes me intensely happy. It is. It's exhilarating. It's. It's a thrill. It's always. You know. You're a little bit nervous because you've just got this one chance to, um, to bring across the music and to make the audience love the music, um, but it's an incredible opportunity. So it's so. It's. It's so enjoyable to be able to experience that.
0: That I think is a trait common to many musicians and, in fact, to many artists. That the reason why they do what they do. Is because there's, there's something transcendent happens, something definitely. deep within them yes. that they have difficulty articulating through words comes mm. out through their art. Right. You know, whether it be music or dance yes. or something. Yeah, that's something I, from deep within the world. Definitely. Basically.
1: And I think it's the same for the audience. That's also the reason people go to concerts, is to experience that thing that they don't experience somewhere else in their lives. You know, if you listen to a beautiful piece of mu- music, then that, as you say, can really transcend you and and make you experience something incredibly special.
0: Mm. And I've got to say, for me personally, you know, one of the reasons why I love music and art and actually nature is that it rekindles my sense of wonder. Right. You know, I I listen to a piece of music and then I'm just filled with the sense of wonder, the sense of awe that, my goodness... This is like something. It's it, something I I can't imagine. It's it, just filled me with a sense exactly. of exactly
1: just the thought that someone composed, someone created something that can literally give you goosebumps just yes. from sound waves. It's mm-hmm. literally if you have to analyze it, you know, in a scientific way, what it exactly is. It's just sound waves and things. But there's something. There's another element that I don't really know what it is mm-hmm. and how, you know. How we can put it into words, but there is something in music that is uh, that is deeply, you know, moving or can be. Yeah. Yes, yeah,
0: it, it just it lifts me up. It's just yeah. it, yeah. I, I I've struggled to find the words, but right. that's that's the effect that music yeah. has on me. Now, those those are you know the things that that um, make us love music. Yes. But as a professional musician, what are the challenges? of of the job you do?
1: Well, first of all, one can never really take a day off. I mean, (laughs) technically you can take a day off, (laughs) but not too many in a row, you know, Um, in the sense that one has to always stay um, on top of your game. You have to practice always. You have to work odd hours. When other people are relaxing and having fun, you probably have to play a concert, Um, or you have to put in another hour of practice or do do some more planning. But I think what's even more challenging is um, finding your niche and expressing and communicating what you want to in an authentic way. And what I mean with that is, you know, when you're in a very competitive environment, when there are so many musicians doing the same thing that you're doing, it's not enough to just play the music that you want to play no one's going to notice you no one's going to invite you if you if playing is the only thing you do mm-hmm. you have to find a way to make it interesting um, and find a way to combine the music that you that you play with who you are as a person mm-hmm. basically like becoming you know a persona um and and i will almost want to say selling that um the idea of convincing people that they should buy a ticket for your show and not for the other show that's on that night. That is very challenging. Um, To find and to keep finding what it is that makes you unique, that gives you your unique voice, um, and that makes you able to express something unique, that people are going to buy a ticket for you. Um, Because, as I said, for example, in the Netherlands, people can choose between... So many different concerts every single day, mm-hmm. but you want them to come to your concert, so that is extremely challenging and it 's not um, that one finds some kind of answer and then and then that 's it, and then you're fixed for life. you have to keep evolving and you have to keep reinventing yourself and uh, keep learning actually yeah
0: okay so if if <coughs> a, a, you know a young musician or a young person considering a a career as a classical musician, you know, um, came to you for advice. Would that be part of the advice you gave them?
1: Some of the most important advice advice I would give to a young person is um, don't only look towards the traditional career paths. Uh, What I grew up with was a way of thinking um, in a way that you could become an orchestral musician or you could become a soloist or a, a teacher, maybe a chamber music, a uh, musician. Um, but I think it's important for people nowadays to be a lot more flexible and diverse and open-minded so that they don't think, okay, I want to be an orchestral musician and I, I'm just going to keep doing auditions until I get a job and that's it. And maybe I'm going to be doing auditions for 10 years before I get a job. I think you have a much bigger chance of success if you're open-minded and think, what can I actually Provide? What do I have that's unique? What is my unique voice and how can I communicate that? How can I sell that to the public and actually create your own career instead of um, just trying to land a job somewhere?
0: I think many years ago a musician, an orchestral musician that I was speaking to said the practicing and mastering your instrument and mastering the music and the repertoire and all that is extremely important. But equally important sometimes is the marketing.
1: Definitely. You
0: know, the differentiating yourself as an individual Definitely. musician or as an orchestra or as a chamber ensemble right. by you know, informing the public, this is what makes us special or this is what we do well.
1: I agree with that 100%. And if you look at the um, soloists or orchestras or um, ensembles that are the most successful and the most famous, Um, It's the ones that have some unique selling point, that have some idea that that makes them unique, um, and and they have their marketing in order. Uh, In in most cases, or in many cases at least, um, those are the ones that make it to the top and that become the most successful. And it's not necessarily always the ones that are um, the top Players. I mean, in many cases it is, but sometimes someone just has a very good mar- marketing idea, and I'm not saying that person's not a good musician, mm-hmm. but it's, there might be someone better, but that person is still sitting practicing in their room, um, and that person didn't think about, how am I selling this? <laughs> right. That's the trick of finding the balance of being good on your instrument, but also getting your, your marketing sorted out and, and knowing what you are actually selling to the, to and the world. And it's a very
0: fine balance. Very, it? yes,
1: yeah. of course. If you go over too much to one side, then, yeah, the other side will suffer.
0: Now, was there anyone who gave you advice? Was there, Were there any mentors who helped you along as you were coming up?
1: Mm, I don't think I had um, the kind of advice that I think was useful in terms of uh, a career path. I had lots of good advice and good mentors uh, specifically to my clarinet playing and my musicianship that I definitely had. But I guess I was also a little unsure of exactly what my path would look like or what I wanted. I mean, I, I did play in an orchestra for for quite a long time, and, and that is definitely what I wanted to do then. But I think, especially if I look at the most recent period of my life, where I n- n- now engage in a diversity of different musical activities, that is something that I kind of figured out on myself, to be by myself, to be honest.
0: Okay, and who were your teachers
1: then? Well, uh, when I studied for my degree in Stellenbosch, my teacher was Jim Reinders. Um, then I went to New York and I studied with David Krakauer who's actually a klezmer artist but he teaches mm-hmm. uh, classical as well um, and then I had lessons from Bas de in Utrecht he's also retired now and in uh, Bulgaria which is also interesting I had lessons from uh, Petko Radev who is very famous as a folk music player but he also played in orchestras he even played in La Scala Milan. Milan um, so he he did both worlds as well, the classical, but also the folk music. Um, the one thing that I regret is that I didn't also take klezmer lessons with David Krakauer and folk music lessons with Petko Radov. I think looking back now, I was too focused and a little close-minded. I wanted just to focus on the classical music and do only that, and that was my path. But if I could do that part over again... Mm-hmm. I would have diversified and I would have, you know, uh, branched out into into those other genres, even if it was just a little bit to make me more flexible as a classical player. Um, but who knows? Maybe okay. there's still time for that. But
0: my question, yeah, that that's <laughs> is what I was thinking. Uh, you know, it's, I guess, okay, it's you know, there are
1: so many things that I still want to do and that I, I have a lot of ideas and plans and things going through my head on a daily basis. And, and that is definitely one of them I would even if it's just basic, maybe take some improvisation lessons or learn to play a bit of folk music or something. But that is something you have to make time for, you know. And um, I, I can't promise that I will. It's something that I would like to do, but I'll have to see what has priority in my career at, you know, every given moment. Sometimes I'm just so involved and absorbed in a project or a big thing coming up that there really is no room uh, to think about other things or to, to spend any energy or time on other things. Um, but then, you know, I have, I have quieter periods too, and maybe, who knows, in the future I might, uh, I might, might go that route as, a, as an extra.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, playing in front of a live audience is mentally demanding, and it can be quite nerve-wracking. Definitely. Uh, especially as a soloist, because you're quite vulnerable. You're yes. the focal point. So how do you deal with that kind of pressure?
1: Uh, yes, that is a very good and important question because it's something that I think most musicians have. I think it's really, really the exception um, that musicians don't have um, any problems with, with stage fright or anxiety or whatever you want to call it. Most of us deal with that um And I think it's extremely important to strengthen your inner muscles, your mind Mm -hmm. and, you know, prepare not only your notes, but prepare your mind as well. Um, So I I do a lot of meditation and yoga and those sort of things um, to help me focus, to know that when I walk on stage, I can talk to myself in a way that I am going to convince myself Um, and that I can tell myself it's all right to be nervous. It's normal. Because what happens oftentimes is people get freaked out by the fact that they're so nervous, and it's actually they're af- they're afraid of being afraid. Um, whereas that's just part and part of the parcel that that just goes with uh, with with performing. You are going to be nervous, so you have to find a way of making peace with that and not letting that freak you out. So usually when I go on stage. You know, my heart rate is up a little bit and I focus on my breathing and I talk to myself in a, in a kind and positive way and I, and I tell myself, yeah, it's good that you're nervous because that means you're excited about this and it matters to you, that you're prepared, you know, those sort of things. I, I reassure myself that I am prepared and the moment I start playing, I usually can find uh, a way to, co- to just focus on the music. And to and and even if my mind wanders, because it happens to all of us. You know, whether you're in the orchestra and the audience, or or you're the soloist, at some point your mind is going to wander. But you just have to gen- gently guide it back to the music, so that you the the focus stays on the music, because that's what the audience wants to focus on as well.
0: How then do you deal with things like you know, as every musician experiences, perhaps a performance doesn't go as well as you were hoping, or you feel you haven't. Uh, played according to the standards that right. you've set yourself, or the, you know, critical audience response right. is is uh, unfavorable. How do yes. you deal with and those situations? Yes, and that
1: inevitably happens to every single musician because, first of all, I don't believe that something like a perfect performance exists, but we tend to strive for perfection, um, and that that is just not realistic, because as human beings, we're not perfect, um, and it's I think almost impossible to give a perfect performance, whatever that means. So when things don't go the way I want them to go, I remind myself of that. I say to myself, look, you're making music. What are you communicating? Uh, Can the audience feel the expression that is in the music and I try to shift the focus back onto the experience of the music, rather than um, whether or not I'm playing all the notes perfectly, because that is just an unattainable goal. There's always going to be something your reed is not going to respond exactly the way you want, or the, there's water in the key and the note doesn't come out right, or you don't make as beautiful a sound, or you, uh, one of the runs is a, it's not as smooth as you practice it. Those things always happen. So it's very important also how you talk to yourself during the performance and, and, and again, bring the focus back to the music and say, what am I communicating here? Because that's what people remember too. Mm -hmm. People don't go to a performance to hear someone play a perfect computer-like performance of a piece. They go because they want to feel something. Mm -hmm. So that's what I always try and bring the focus back to. What am I feeling? What is the audience feeling? Um, and of course some performances, you are disappointed in. Um, I think that's also completely normal. And it's very important how you talk to yourself after such a performance, because usually what I then try and do is say to myself, um, you know, I learned something today. I learned that maybe I should have this or that or that. So it's a good thing. It's a positive experience. Um, and then I try to learn from whatever I think I can improve on because some things are just chance, like the water on the key or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but some things, you know, can be improved on and whatever can be improved on, I try and learn from that, but then I let it go. Or I mean, I try my best to let it go and not dwell on the fact that, you know, that one thing that I practiced so hard, it didn't quite work out it's just no point because I think if you, if you're too hard on yourself in the time after the performance, it's going to make it more difficult the next time you have to go on stage because you've, you've been harsh with yourself Mm -hmm. and it's, it's much better to just acknowledge the fact that you did your best and that the audience probably still enjoyed it as well. Um, and you learned something, and you you became a better and a stronger musician, so next time it's going to be better that's okay. how I try to see that when 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 I have a performance that i didn't that I really wasn't happy with
0: and I suppose if you if you speak to yourself and you know you get yourself down, it makes it more difficult to pick up your instrument to practice as well
1: well yes, I think um that the positive self talk is is also important when you practice um And about that, about listening back to an an interview you recorded, sometimes, you know, performances are also recorded. And if I feel it didn't go all that well, usually I would just, like, wait a day or two and not go and listen to it immediately because that's dangerous. Then you're really just going to focus on those mistakes. And, oh, I knew I played that wrong or I didn't do that well enough or whatever. So I just let it rest a little bit. And when I come back to it a few days or a week later, then it's like, then i have just a little bit more distance so i can say oh actually it wasn't all that bad you know this these phrases were good and here i had a great sound whatever um, and okay it wasn't perfect but again w- what what is perfection music mm-hmm. is not 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 perfection anyway
0: yeah i think that's a really great idea to wait yeah. you know just take a day or two wait for the yes, dust to settle and right. then take a listen because to what especially you've
1: done. when you've just performed and you weren't happy with it you're emotional you know you have the sort yes. of unhappy emotion and you, if you go and listen to your performance then it's usually not a good idea okay
0: and which pieces of music or which composers do you particularly enjoy and i ask in the knowledge that uh, you know tastes and interests change over time definitely
1: so. that is a very um a very hard question because i like all sorts of music and, and i like to play all sorts of music but I really enjoy learning a new piece of music, maybe something uh, from the 20th or or 21st century, Um, if it's not too wild, you know, if I can Mm -hmm. still (laughs) sort of read what's on the page, because sometimes it's just black in it, and and you really have to, you know, almost use uh, magnifying glass to see what's on the page. But, But new things in contemporary things can be so exciting to learn because it's, it's this completely new world. And especially when it's a piece that hasn't been played before, it is like this discovery of something. It's almost like you're creating the thing together with a composer, which is of course not technically true because the composer is the person who, you know, makes the piece of music, but you, you bring it to life. So that I find extremely exciting, but of course that, that is a very big category and lots of things can fit into it. Um, I also like late classical, early Romantic music for some reason that is super enjoyable to play. But it doesn't mean that other things I don't like. I mean, some works, some French music I I adore uh, and love to play some things from from the Romantic period. It's really very diverse and and personal.
0: Right. Now, the composer Rulof Tamming, Wrote a clarinet concerto for you. That's right. Which uh, you're going to play with the Joburg Full Harmonic Orchestra. It's going to be a world premiere. That's right. So while he was alive, did you have any conversations uh, with him about, you know, why he had you in mind for this particular work?
1: No, it was a huge surprise um, because I knew him. He was my lecturer at the Stellenbosch University. I had oral training from him and I think theory or something as well um and then he just contacted me one day when when i was not you know studying anymore this was this was much later in 2009 and he said i'm writing a clarinet concerto for you and i was like oh wow really why <laughs> and he was like yeah whatever um it it really was a big surprise and and um so he sent me the first version in 2009 when he had that completed um, but then he revised it in 2011 and he made quite a quite a few changes so i wasn't part of the creative process of this okay. piece it, that, that's really all him he he made the, the entire thing uh, without any input from me um, and and then he just sent it to me um, but there hasn't been a, a, a an opportunity to get it performed all these years since 2011 um which is why now it's going to be a world premiere Um, And back then, when he sent me the music, it was just a printed score, um, but it wasn't digitalized. It wasn't on PDFs or anything like that. So all that work had to be done now. Um, And there's a team of people that are actually digitalizing all Rulof's work. Um, But when they heard that I'm going to be playing the clarinet concerto, they prioritized that and made sure that that got done in time. So it's really very exciting to finally bring this music to life and to share it with audiences.
0: When you look back over your career so far, are there any projects or accomplishments of which you are especially proud, something that you look back on and think, I'm so glad I did that?
1: Um, Yes, I think there's one thing that definitely comes to mind right away, and that is uh, when I recorded all the clarinet concertos by Louis Spohr, with the Cape Town Philharmonic and Ariantin that was back in 2013. Um, and the reason why I'm so proud of that is because there are not many clarinetists that have complete, uh, that have uh, recorded the complete works of Spore and it has opened doors for me. Um, it is something that in any case in the clarinet world is, is known, mm-hmm. you know, people know, know that I've, I've recorded those works and it's, you know, given me, exposure in terms of that it's and raised and your I'm, profile a bit. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And it was it was really a tough and huge project because those those pieces are insanely difficult. Um, and they have a million notes each, but they're also extremely beautiful. Um, so it was it was fun to do, but it was also really challenging. I think we just had four days in which to record the four concertos. So that was one per oh, day. Four concertos. Yes, four okay. concertos. And um, I was still working in the orchestra as well. And, and I remember on the evenings, I still had opera performances. So it was, it was very intense and it was quite quite a mountain to climb. Um, but it, it turned out really well and, and we got great reviews for it. And that is definitely something that I'm very, very proud of.
0: And so are those recordings available for purchase online?
1: Well, here's the thing. They are not anymore. They're out of print. Um, They were uh, published with Brilliant Classics. That's a Dutch company. Yes. Um, And as far as I know, they are not printing them anymore. But they can be, I mean, they're on Spotify. So one could listen to them on Spotify. Yeah.
0: Okay, so I imagine that if, you know, I search for them, I type in your name. You'll definitely find them, yeah, yeah. Right, so they'll definitely be there. Right. All four concertos. Yes. Okay, (laughs) great, great. Now, assuming you had, you know, the personnel or the money and the support and whatever else you needed, what project would you implement or what goal would you try to achieve? It doesn't have to be music. It could be anything that you want to do.
1: I think it would be a dream to make music a lot more accessible to many more people and especially kids. Um, Last month I was giving some workshops in Soweto to a small little music school. um, That's the initiative of uh, Nimrod Moloto. He teaches a, a project called the Melody Music Project. And he has some recorder playing kids there. And I was thinking to myself, wow, it means so much to these kids to get these music lessons. Um, it it helps them so much and it's going to give them so many tools for later in their life I wish every single child could get an instrument and learn how to play music even if it was just for five years that would be like an unattainable dream I think that that would be worth dreaming is to, to get all kids onto music lessons for a couple of years and have instruments that they can play on
0: Right now, apart from music, and I know you said earlier on that as a professional musician, you you can't take a day off. Not really, At least not for for too long. You can't take too many days off. But apart from music, I'm sure there are other things that you enjoy doing. What are they?
1: Definitely. I I love nature. Uh, One of my absolute favorite things to do is just to walk uh, my dog. Uh, We live close to the most beautiful lake, and just walking in nature and you know among the trees and things that is for me one of the best things to do with my free time so i do that every single day but i'm also an active person i like to i like to run and do some yoga and do some swimming and things like that nothing nothing uh, competitive or fanatical at all I just i really like to be outside and enjoy nature and if it if it's got anything to do with water then then it's perfect.
0: Well, Maria, thank you very much for speaking to me here on uh, Classical Music Decoded. It's been a pleasure and, uh, yeah, I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. uh, Oh, it's it's a pleasure and I really enjoyed listening to you. And I wish you all the best in playing the uh, Temming clarinet concerto. Thank you and hopefully in the not-too-distant future there'll be a, a recording available.
1: I can't say anything about it yet, but don't be surprised if that does uh, come true. <laughs> oh, looking forward to it. <laughs> okay. Right, thank you thank very you. much.
0: That was Classical Music Decoded, Conversations, with me, Dino Madramutu. If you'd like to get in touch, my email address is cmd at Vivaldi.net. I'm also on Twitter. My handle is Dino, D-E-A-N-O underscore mad. Feel free to listen to the other episodes in this podcast series.